I think you you simply touched upon the nerve, right? In terms of a lot of us feeling that sense of isolation, mm-hmm. that you know everything is on us to do, and in a world where all variables are out of our control, beyond a very minuscule, you know, just a minuscule part of it is within our control. So no wonder we continuously feel overburdened, and and you know, just a couple of days ago, I was having this conversation with a client where she was like, you know what, I'm tired. I'm tired of trying so hard and you know it came from the depths of her being where she felt yeah. that exhaustion of just <laughs> you know winning a battle I mean losing a battle over and over again and yeah. first I want to touch upon what you said about exhaustion it's yeah. not just an isolated incident it is a proven study in fact in uh, the Guardian magazine the month of May I had also posted about this on Instagram there was a survey from UK mm-hmm. which stated something that really broke my heart. The survey says people are too exhausted. This is the conclusion mm-hmm. of that research. People are too exhausted to make positive lifestyle changes. This really broke my heart. And then I, I set off on a Europe trip. I was on, on traveling across Europe for the last one month teaching. And I actually experienced this with the people who came for my workshops and retreats. Tremendous exhaustion. Tremendous. So what you shared is absolutely right. Absolutely right. We are just masters of distraction. You know, we have become masters of distraction. So we don't really, again, using the word, allow ourselves to sit and recognize that, oh, I am exhausted. Now we just do, because our ego doesn't like it. Our ego doesn't like that, I'm a strong person, how can I be exhausted? No. So then we just do something. We get, we distract. You know, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, strong coffee, <laughs> double espresso. <laughs> or I'm going to watch an action movie. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, the coming back to your question is why are we exhausted? Because we, are, we have become too mind-centric and not heart-centric. Yeah, there, is, there are two forces, thinking and feeling. We have become very thinking oriented. Buddhi and Bhava. Where is the Bhava <laughs> nowadays? Right? We, are, we are too busy analyzing things. We are too busy not just thinking, overthinking. Divine gave us the ability to think and we started overthinking. You know, <laughs> it's like that. You know, God gives us one thing and we overdo it. (laughs) You know, so uh, there are many reasons for this. Many, 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 many reasons. Personal, social conditioning, family conditioning, generational conditioning. Uh, So, yeah, the uh, in a sense, what I want to say is life is all about harmonizing your thinking and feeling variables or the dimensions of thinking and feeling. 
but the kind of life we live uh makes us makes it imperative that we stay in the thinking mode because our life is full of choice uh, our challenges decision making uh, we have to stay on alert we have deadlines we have projects company's uh, name is at stake our job is at stake so you see we the time your alarm goes your fight and flight mechanism is switched on the alarm also is such a horrible tone that nobody will wake up peacefully you know you wake up with an overwhelm right <laughs> and that that alarm tips your nervous system into fight and flight and then it doesn't come down because you rush out of bed you rush into shower breakfast on the run run to catch a train juggle works and projects at office uh, you know jostle around with your colleagues you know fight for the next presentation um you know push somebody for uh, getting up the ladder in the corporate ladder then um, rush or fight time to leave office early dodge uh, calls that you don't want to take imagine we have to be in the thinking mode to stay sane in in the neural neurobiological terms we have to be in the sympathetic nervous system response to survive and once the habit pattern is developed or in the brain the wiring is developed it's not easy to come out then what will happen imagine if you are firing your fight and flight since 8 am to 8 pm your brain is not going to oh now he's come home now let me just ah wind down no why why should it if you have told your brain for 12 hours a day that you are under threat run your brain will say oh i have to run at home also this is the issue so i have personally started telling everybody and teaching that it is time for conscious rest we need to give a rest a priority that will that is also a struggle so powerful um i think uh, i was just reading somewhere that uh, all that we do in our day to day life is this restless activity right and uh, there is no action so that means when you really pause also even if you were to rest the mind is still continuously you know running that same race it was running those 12 hours it's not going to suddenly come to a stop so whether you are at work or not you're thinking about work or you're doing something else in your head and there is no rest that we given so there's no turning off of that fight flight and fight mode it's 
always on and then no wonder the exhaustion happens because the body can't run on adrenaline Absolutely. for that long yeah and people's ideas of rest have also become uh neurologically stimulated <laughs> like you know um let's let's have a movie marathon that's not rest that's recreation <laughs> you see oh i come back from office 12 hours of work and then just for rest i go for a 7k run it's not rest yeah run is good for you it has its own benefits but your nervous system if we look at nervous system as the fundamental uh, ground to analyze everything on your nervous system is not rested when you are running 7k especially if you have a time i want to run 7k within half an hour or whatever something like that your brain is pushing through the time barrier your legs are pushing through the lazy barrier lazy barrier or you know fatigue barrier we need to learn how to consciously rest so for those probably tuning in and haven't really rested consciously uh where would you recommend they start taking time out every day conscious to do something that now i have to be very specific because if i if i say to do something relaxing then they will start running not like that <laughs> <laughs> you know that's why i'm trying to formulate a proper sentence every day take time to do something that uh relaxes your mind relaxes your breath makes you psychologically relax become effortless become calm those kind of variables you need to work right because people are smart you know they just find a loophole and <laughs> absolutely and the you know, mind if i say take too. time out for rest they say oh but i get i i get a lot of rest if i buy something on online no <laughs> oh i rest very well after i eat 1 kilo of kaju katli no people always find their bit you know so <laughs> but yes taking consciously you know like we take time for brushing teeth having a shower let it become a part of your routine rest should become a sadhana <laughs> yeah and then we will notice how tightly we are bound by this productivity you know what will happen you are sitting you know like let's say ha ah, now 11 to 11:15 ah i'm just going to sit on my chair and stare out of the window chalo let's do this you sit down you stare out of the window and i guarantee after one minute you'll be like oh my window has a lot of dust uh, let me clean this 
and then you go in and take a mop and start cleaning the window that is this is what i'm saying productivity you can't just say hmm my window is dirty after 15 minutes i will clean no like oh window oh i forgot last weekend i should have you know cleaned the window oh no you see this is what i call productivity will not let you rest you'd mentioned that you know you personally experienced burnout as well uh, you know in your professional career so how was that for you what kind of factors led to it and how can probably listeners who are listening in today avoid that zone of burnout yeah so it's a, again a very personalized um, uh, personalized thing so uh, burnout can happen for various reasons for various people so i think it's uh, the main thing is for us to have a uh, awareness within ourselves as to why it is happening and uh, so for me it was a journey of exploration so in hindsight what i know today is that i think it had happened because of my having um very siloed interests actually so i was i was either a mom or i was a career person so there was literally nothing else i had so it was i just this that this that this that so it was like there was nothing for this self that honoring this this uh, personhood that the person that needed something so i was not really honoring the needs of uh, the person so it's always duty and what is needed and what is what am i responsible for so clearly that was a path to burnout and uh, i did work upon myself i uh, um, i took help from therapists and i myself added things um, uh, of what uh, gave my soul joy so like learning the piano writing poetry music so some of and spirituality of course so yeah so all of these are i mean have been attempts to reclaim something which was lost in in the process when when and i didn't realize what i was losing so yeah when i added some of these bits back so um i became more of a fuller person so and uh, actually adding these things made me a better professional made me a better family person so it is contra contra intuitive so i was giving time to other things but actually the time i was spending on my core responsibilities became much more productive so as as my uh, presence increased as my uh, mental capacity increased my happiness levels increased so that was my way of 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 finding finding and everyone has to discover um, their own their own way to uh, what gives them a sense of balance and joy and keeps them uh, as as a full human i heard you mentioning in one of the podcasts that how anxieties come from our identities right mm-hmm. that all of these identities that we assume we are and totally attach ourselves with all of that start to cause us anxiety and in a way it is this constant anxiety that kind of stops us from actually being that resting or consciously take a rest or take it off right so i'm curious uh, how how do we manage these anxieties that seem never ending in our heads when you don't know who you are you want to be many things when you don't know what you want to eat in a restaurant 
everything the waiter tells you sounds exciting <laughs> if you don't know where you want to go for vacation every other offer sounds amazing the point is when you start living a mind of external awareness you are spread thinly across a large surface and you lost you lose yourself and this what happens we play so many roles that we forget who is playing the role there's a certain kind of dissonance that happens in our awareness who am i in all this It happens a lot you know i have seen happens a lot with women you know juggling career motherhood wife daughter in law and then wondering after few years who am i really because all roles are important i am the center of it all but then who who am i like do i even exist patanjali calls these asmitas and every asmita has raga and dvesha raga and dvesha means attraction and repulsion the force of attraction and repulsion likes or dislikes for example you as a mother may not like something for your child but you have to allow it because you are also a wife and your husband likes that for your child <laughs> but it doesn't sit well with you but you say you know okay my husband likes that for my child so it's no problem you know but uh, so uh, so the tension is between what you think is right for your child as a mother but but you have to also comply with what your husband wants to do for your child ah you see raga dvesha like dislike that's the fight like this for each role we have a fight and not just each role now this becomes even more complex how many prasads are there in my head multiple at every identity i have a prasad there's a prasad as a man there's a prasad as a indian citizen there's a prasad as a yoga teacher you see and not just that there are prasads across time there is a infant prasad teenage prasad you know so imagine in our mind there are multiple asmitas of self and every asmita every identity breeds like dislikes and creates a mental world for itself this is how we are distributed across identity this is the definition of avidya for potential not knowing who the true self is the the true observer is we get so caught up with our roles yeah and with each role we have this weight like a i have not met even a single parent who says they have been a good parent 
<laughs> right? So there's there's a guilt of parenthood. There's a burden of parenthood. So asmitas create a world around it, and we get carried away in that world. Like this, you know, literally like the multiverse, you know. <laughs> Every asmita has its own world. And we are living together in this multiverse. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly how it happens. Yeah. And we want to give everything to every world and we are exhausted. So the, the idea then again, to keep it extremely simple, is to consciously take time to step back. Every day, step back, step back, step back, step back. Vairagya is not taught. This is Vairagya. We are not taught Vairagya. We only know Abhyasa. <laughs> you know, even we only are engaged in Abhyasa. We ignore Vairagya when Vairagya is most important part of you. So, and that's why we have this whole concept of doing your actions without desires without the karma, without the intention to get back something. You know, like it is written in the Karma Yoga of Bhagavad. Do your actions without desires. Hmm? Karma uh, Phala hmm? I'm just curious, were there any experiences where the Gita actually came to life for you in terms of your life experiences and your journey? A lot, a lot, Shweta. Uh, one is, uh, I'm a very hardworking, I was a very hardworking student, but I never got results that I wanted when it came to board exams. So I was very upset. And uh, one of those times, like, I really worked hard. I was a good student all through school, but when it came to board exams, I never got the results that I saw my classmates getting. So the 10th, the 12th, I was a little upset. Because uh, 12th, I wanted to be a doctor, but my marks were not good enough. And I studied in Madras, so it was completely merit. And it was 95 plus only who could get into medicine and stuff like that. And I did. So I was very upset. And at that time, I opened the Gita. Uh, and I said, this is very unfair, God. I've really worked hard. And people who didn't do very well consistently have scored higher than me. This is not right. And uh, so at that time, in that confused state, when I opened the Gita, the verse that spoke to me was And for me, when I said, okay, so what does it mean? And I go deeper into the meaning. Very clearly, we stop with the first line. And I used to get very angry when people used to say, uh, Indians are very fatalistic. You go by this statement from the Gita, which says, which is uh, do your work and don't worry, whatever is in your destiny will come to you. But that's not what is the meaning of it. The second line is, which means you do your best and then leave the rest. You don't sit there and say, okay, whatever is due to me will come to me, so I will just sit here and wait. No, it's not talking about inaction. It's talking about action, karma. I started seeing this verse that flashed to me at that point when I was so upset. And it's, 
the meaning and the interpretations that I read led on to make me understand that what is in your hand is the controllable hard work. Mm -hmm. There are many things that are beyond you, beyond your control. And especially, you know, I meet so many of my friends who say we are control freaks, everything we have to know. Life is not like that. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you cannot control everything. There are so many things beyond you. Who even would have believed if you said about five years ago that there's going to come a phase when the whole world is going to get back in <laughs> and nature is going to thrive? Nobody yeah. would have believed. Right? How many plans went haywire in the last three, four years ever since COVID hit? So there's a lot that is not under our control. What is under our control is how we work and how we respond. I think uh, uh, as we start talking about this, right, uh, I think one of the very beautiful lines that you wrote, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, it was like almost uh, poetry in prose where you said that uh, sorrow is disguised as uh, transient happiness. Uh, I think that's such a powerful, powerful statement. I'd love to hear from you, um, you know, the many ways we trap get trapped under that transient happiness. Yes, uh, uh, our, our, our job as we are trained from the very beginning is to seek happiness. I don't think there's anything wrong with it in the sense I, I wouldn't say, you know, why are you being happy? Why are you, you, are you actually unhappy? I wouldn't say that to someone. I wouldn't do that. The, the, the point that, you know, uh, he's saying is that when you experience that form of happiness, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, it's somebody you, you like or, or, or something you ate, then the mind craves for a repetition of that experience. Right. And when it is finally found that you can't have that experience again, then sorrow comes along and it hits you really badly. That is like this, that is the actual point, right? So if you recognize this, that this is all, you know, intended to mislead you. And my, my friend, sooner or later, you're not going to have that pizza or that person you, you, you know, you crave for or whatever it is. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen or whatever it is. That's when it really hits you. So. Again, I don't think I would I would say this to anybody and say, you know, you think you're happy, but actually you're unhappy. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But I think that's the, that's the point he's actually actually made there. And it's, it's unfortunately a very, um, you know, crushing thought, sad thought, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what else to say, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that a child should not experience happiness. I wouldn't say either of us should have. It's fine. But as, at, at the, at the, if you're able to act also develop the capacity to understand that this is, you know, don't don't get carried away this happiness, well then manage quite okay. But then, yeah, we are trapped in this cycle of repeated actions. We break those actions again and again and again. It's just like the circle, right? Which I which I've talked about, which he's talked about, which I, I've tried to address. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Um, I'm drawing parallels with the Bhagavad Gita also in chapter 3 where uh, we go into that, right? That there is a desire and then desire, if it gets obstructed, we get angry and that anger leads to, you know, wrath and then we get caught in that cycle and uh, it's hard to get out of it. And yeah, I guess creating that distance between that desire and again, that sense of self, right? Because I, a lot of times we kind of merge that sense of accomplishment to that sense of self that we are worthy only if we get that promotion or we drive that BMW or whatever it is, right, that we desire and uh, we get caught in that same trap. Yeah. Well, if you look at it these days, the hot news that you and I am sure are reading is about the UPSC results, right? Everything you turn to is about 
you know, so-and-so on this uh, village did this and now he got 78th rank. So there are all these success stories which are, which are uh, you know, guiding us in that direction that I also want to be like that person, you know. So, yeah, I want to be as, as happy as that person seems to be. So, yeah, unfortunately, we are trapped in that uh, chakra view. Okay. And so the more you are in that surrender mode, that there is, obviously, when you know there are so many uncontrollables, you also believe there's a power above which is working. So all you can do is your best and then surrender. And the moment you start doing all that, if you notice, all of them are connected. All these concepts are interrelated. Yeah. And at that time, what happens? Your senses withdraw. They no more take over and the anger, the disappointment, the anxiety, nothing comes. Because now you are in that surrender mode and you're like, okay, I have done whatever. This is the best I could do with this current scenario. Let me now withdraw. And this is something, the moment you do that surrender process, what emerges from that space in your own performance is excellence. Because you're now not hankering for the fruit. The end result is not going to take you away from your performance. What if will never come? When are you anxious? In the exam, if you want to do very well, you're like, I want the first rank. I want to be the best. And you go there. There are so many moments when you just go blank. But if your approach is, I'm going to give it my best shot. Whatever is the result, I'm going to give it my best shot. That anxiety to perform is automatically reduced. And when your anxiety is reduced, you're more balanced with your different emotional states. And thereby perform. Thank you.